honestly, I, I feel like the set apartness that is the gift of holiness. It's this thing that's that actually helps me become not overwhelmed by the idea of holiness, but helps me to go, this is set apart for something distinct. Mm. This is set apart so that something different can happen today than what happened these yeah. other six days. And so that captures my imagination to draw me in to start thinking from the beginning. Mm. What is God up to? Yeah. Like, what is the invitation of this day? If it's distinctly different, if I've just said, I've set it apart, to be this, you know, different day than all the rest, then it means that I get to be surprised by God. You're listening to the Rule of Life podcast by Practicing the Way. In each season, we explore an ancient practice from the way of Jesus and its relevance for the modern era. This is season one, Sabbath. Welcome to the final episode of the Sabbath season. Mm. Over the last four weeks, we have covered the four movements of Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and up on the docket for today is worship. But that is a word we hear all of the time, in particular if you're in a church. But what exactly do we mean when we say that a Sabbath is a day for not just rest, and not just delight, that's like pretty intuitive, but what exactly do we mean when we say it is a day for worship? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think about this and even think about the, some of the first times I was trying to incorporate worship into my Sabbath and I was like, it felt cringy. Like, mm. I don't know if that's a word kids are still saying, but I was just sort of it's like- It's a word, yes. You know, not, not Cringe worthy, <laughs> I think, is the proper grammar. Yeah. But not because <laughs> I, I don't enjoy worshiping God, I love it. But just, I, it's like I didn't understand what it meant in the context yes. of Sabbath. You yeah. know, is it like me singing a hymn alone by myself in the corner of my house or yeah. something? Or was it like a Bethel album I was supposed to, you know, get into? So I think I think it's a good question to ask because I think it's pretty, can be. Yeah, confusing. because a lot of us just yeah. equate worship with singing at church. And so what does that right. mean to have a day of worship? You know, or is it religious observance? Is it more spiritual yeah, disciplines? Exactly. Is it, what do we mean by that? Well, before we can actually even explore what worship is in the context of Sabbath, we have to know that it comes out of a broader story and context of both the Old and New Testament. So before we even can get to that place, let's have a conversation of what does it come from? So why don't you recap your session four on Sabbath? Yeah, session four, I open by just talking about most people's experience of Sunday. Again, so Sunday is the best day of the week for most people to Sabbath, not all. And, uh, but for most people, that's the best. Um, but most people's experience of Sunday now in kind of our current cultural moment is, you know, they stay up late Saturday night mm -hmm. at a wedding or going to a movie or binge watching some TV show and they wake up the next morning, maybe with a hangover, mild or not, and they oversleep and maybe you hurry out the door to get to church on time. If you go to church, a ton of people don't. And you know you, you have the church experience and that's great, hopefully. And then often you go shopping after that or you go out mm -hmm. to brunch with friends or you go watch football mm -hmm. or you mow your lawn or you do laundry or if you're you know, a type A job, you catch up on emails and do calendar planning for the week ahead or you like, what's the new thing where people do meal prep on <laughs> yeah. Sunday yeah, afternoons absolutely. and yeah. evenings or whatever. And then you watch a movie that night or whatever and go to bed still tired. And I just make the <laughs> point and genuinely with no judgment in my heart at all, 
that's not a Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, an American Sunday with church attendance. Mm. And it's not a bad thing per se, but it's not a Sabbath. Eugene Peterson called it, I don't cuss in real life, IRL, as kids these days say. So any chance I get to on a podcast, I take. But Eugene Peterson called that a bastard Sabbath. Mm. Mm. And I think what he meant by that was it's like the illegitimate offspring Mm. of the ancient practice of Sabbath and the Lord's Day for Mm. worship and the kind of secularized weekend Mm -hmm. or day off, you know? And so often like, Sabbath will devolve in our mind and imagination and in our practice to basically just like a Christianized day off, (laughs) kind of, you know? So Bethany, I remember you telling me about community leaders at our church who started the nickname Sabbish for like a day that was, right, Bethany, it was like Sabbath Kind of, yeah, yeah. just ish. Like, yeah, yeah we're like some of it. Yeah, Sabbath light. Really good morning quiet time in prayer and mm-hmm. church. And then I had to go buy these nine things, and yeah. then I had to uh-huh. do my taxes really fast. Yeah. But I, but I had a really good time because after that, I folded laundry while yeah. watching season three of whatever, yeah. and oh, it was great. You know, chores. and it's like Sabbath. It's yeah. like <laughs> kind of Sabbath, but not really. You know, yeah. And um, church then just becomes kind of another thing you do on the weekend. Again, because we're not in a larger cultural architecture of the Sabbath and because much of the Western church has lost an imagination for the Sabbath. Yeah. Mm. But the fourth movement is that Sabbath is a day for worship, mm. not just a day to stop and you know power off your phone or whatever you do, not just a day to rest and sleep in and breathe and not just a day to delight, to like do all these pleasure stacking and activities of delight, but really to worship Mm -hmm. God. That is like the ultimate aim of the day. Now in the session, I get there from Genesis 1 and from the Ten Commandments, where in Genesis 1, the Sabbath is made holy, like Mm. God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And that's the first time that the word holiness is used in the Bible, which is Mm. really fascinating because what's made holy is a day. Which in you know ancient kind of Near Eastern spirituality, you would expect God to make a holy mountain or a holy temple or a holy shrine, but instead it's a holy day. So you know Heschel has that beautiful line about how the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. Yeah. You know, like we've made a cathedral not out of brick and wood and glass, but out of time, out mm-hmm. of a day. And I just talk about this word holy, or in Hebrew it's the word kadash. And I remember in seminary, Bethany, you know, we both of us had Dr. Gary Bashir's. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting through his lectures on Kadosh and like mind blown yeah. because I thought of Kadosh or holiness as primarily a moral word. Mm. So it's about good and not evil. And if you're a holy person, it's about being a good person and not an evil person. But Kadosh isn't really a moral word per se. There are moral overtones to it, but the word just means let's bear like what the word means mm-hmm. is just unique or special yeah. or uncommon. That's what like at its most yeah. plain meaning, it just means uncommon. Or it can be a more theological definition would be set apart for yeah. or dedicated to. So mm-hmm. there's a phrase used, it's used of the Sabbath. It's used of lots of things in the Old Testament, holy to the Lord. Mm. So that preposition to the Lord, because it's set apart. So then the question is, what's it? holy for, what's it holy to? It's set apart for or dedicated to the Lord. So in the Torah, there are holy pots and pans and utensils that are used in the temple. Mm -hmm. And you think about how a pot 
yeah. can't be good or evil. Yeah. I mean, maybe if it's like really bad, it's evil. I don't know. But <laughs> if like it burns every single time, it burns my soup. <laughs> a pot can't be good or evil, but it can be common or uncommon. Yeah. yeah. It can be set apart and dedicated to God's special purposes or just used for everyday life. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I use the analogy of, I remember my grandfather used to travel to Japan for work. And so over the years, he collected this beautiful uh, set of high like Japanese fine china. Mm. And my grandmother was an antique dealer. And so she had a hutch, which apparently is like a piece of furniture with glass in it and shelving that's specifically designed to display your china. Yes. And there was this beautiful china in there, but I remember it was only used like at Christmas and Thanksgiving. It was not used for like taco night on yeah. Tuesday, you know? Yeah. And so that China was was holy. It was not common. It was uncommon. It was set apart for yeah. special purposes. The Sabbath is to the week what China is to daily plateware. You yeah. know, it's this day that is set apart for and dedicated to God. And that's really what worship is. You know, we think of worship as the singing portion in the liturgy of our weekly church gathering. Mm -hmm. And that is in expression of worship. It is a legitimate one. But worship is so much more than that. It is a whole life of orientation toward and surrender to God. So, you know, the rabbis talk about this hermeneutical concept of the principle of first mention. Mm -hmm. And the basic idea is that in the library of scripture, the first time that a word is used, it's often like a definition or Mm -hmm. kind of like a meta level of like, this is what this word, this is the kind of touchstone for it. And the first time the word holy is used, as I said, is in the Sabbath, God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, Genesis two. The first time that the word worship is used, there's nothing about singing. It's in Genesis 22, mm. the story of Abraham and his son Isaac mm. on Mount Moriah, where Abraham says, myself and the boy will go up the mountain and worship. And what he means is offer his son as a sacrifice mm. to God. Yeah. Now, those of you new to the Bible and you're like, what the heck, read the story. Yeah. There's a whole thing there. And it's fascinating kind of cultural backstory to that. That's a whole rabbit trail we don't have time for. But in that paradigm, the first time the word worship is used, it's a sacrifice of the deepest part of your heart over to God in radical trust. Mm -hmm. That's what worship is. So when we talk about a day for worship, sure, put the Bethel record on and Mm -hmm. go for it, you know? But it's about how do we orient, or in most of our case, reorient the deepest part of our heart Mm. to a deeper surrender and orientation around the goodness of who God is. That's why it's ideal, it's not at all like mandatory, but it's ideal if possible to combine your Sabbath practice and your Sunday worship because they both share like a common end to Mm. orient and reorient yourself around your center in God. So then I kind of end the session talking about the command in the 10 commandments is to keep the Sabbath holy. So the implication there is the Sabbath is holy. It's like, it's the fine China, but you have to keep it holy. Mm -hmm. Just like the the China analogy is really working for me actually right now. That's great. You have to keep it holy. (laughs) And, you know, Brian, you pointed out in one of our pre-conversations when we were developing the practice that the Jews don't talk about practicing the Sabbath. They talk about keeping the Sabbath. Like it's this treasure that you have to keep and watch over. 
And so the call kind of at the end of the session is, as with all of the disciplines, to set aside this practice of a day of worship in order to cultivate an entire life yeah. mm -hmm. of worship all week long. The Sabbath practice is a four-week experience designed to be run in your church, small group, or community that combines teaching, conversation, and spiritual exercises to introduce you to this ancient discipline for life with God. If you come on the Sabbath practice, you will not just learn about the Sabbath, you will practice the Sabbath. The end goal is to integrate Sabbath into your rule of life in order to arrange your life around God. This offering is completely free thanks to the generosity of the circle a group of people from all over the world who give monthly to Practicing the Way. Available now at practicingtheway.org. Now, um, enough of me. I want to kick it over to you now. What is this idea of Sabbath as a holiday, or if you think of the etymology of that word, a holy day, a day that is set apart for and dedicated to God in a, in a way that the other six aren't? Um, what does that draw up for you? I know that holiness is a bit of a loaded word for a growing number of people yeah. uh, because it has connotations for some with hyperlegalism mm -hmm. or self-righteousness. What does that word draw to mind for, for you too? Yeah, you talk about purpose set aside for a purpose. And I know for me, one of the best descriptions I've heard is from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And he actually makes this wonderful commentary on the beginning of Genesis and the end of Exodus as these linked books where they're telling this one story that Genesis begins with God making room in himself, mm. room in the universe for creation, for wow. other people to have wills. And Exodus ends with human beings withdrawing their intentions to make room for tabernacle. Wow. So it's this in, intrinsic link. And he says the etymology of the word holy has to do with that. The word holy or common um, or holy or uncommon, as you said it, is the place where we make room for God. We I actually love withdraw, making room for God. We withdraw our wills. We withdraw our, we renunciate parts of ourselves to make full availability to experience God as he is. And in the same way that God does for us. So mm -hmm. common or profane or secular as they would translate is the space Wait, where- Wait, so he's equating the word profane with the word secular? He kind of uses them in a- Yeah, no, I love way. that. That's yeah. really good. Where, 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 you know, we withdraw, God withdraws some of himself that we might have intention and will to create. He has this great line where he says, "For so for six days a week, the days are common. God makes space for us to be creative. But on the seventh, the day that is holy, we make space for God by acknowledging that mm. we are his creation. And what applies to time also applies to space. There are common places where we, where we live outside our normal purposes and there are holy spaces where we open ourselves fully and without reservation to God and his purposes. Mm. And that was the most grounding place I've thought of is that intention? How do we withdraw? And and you think about it in what a beautiful way, because so then the climax of this for human beings is self-limitation for the sake of God to have his way. Man, that reminds me a lot of what Tish Harrison Warren said. She is from Austin, Texas, and she had this great turn of phrase about the cussedness of ordinary life. Listen to what she said about that. I think I'm undone by the cussedness of life more than your your average person to the extent where it's almost like a theot like how can God be good and we have to keep working on the roof every year you know I think and what is it what does it mean I mean if like I said if I grew up in a place where where Christianity is sort of attaining this um 
emotional <laughs> state of of a sense of intimacy with God? What's that look like in in all of the just deep um, everydayness uh, uh, and disappointment, and even the most like lovely and beautiful life? I can imagine some people are like, wait a minute, like how is one day more holy than the other? Yeah. Isn't like all of life supposed to be holy? And of course the answer is yes. But I, I love that there's like a spiritual realism to that. I'm really yeah. trying to grow in that. I think pastors, we really struggle with just being honest about spirituality. Yeah. yeah. And the reality is that most of the week we're getting through our email list and we're cooking dinner and we're cleaning up after our kids mess and we're, you know, fixing our flat tire. And it's not that God is not in those moments. It's that much of life is just kind of getting through the maintenance and, and working hard. You know, Heschel has that beautiful line about how for six days we wrestle with the earth and wring profit from its hands, you know, (laughs) but he calls Sabbath an armistice where we just make peace and we accept what is Mm. and we enter into the day. And so it's not that the other six days aren't holy or aren't about worship or it's it's the opposite. We yeah. want to set aside a day of worship so that all seven days are yeah. worshipful. But there is a spiritual realism to, hey, you know what? Six days of the week, we just have a lot going. Yeah. But ironically, the things that consume most of our time are not necessarily the things that are most important in our life. Mm-hmm. Well, and how we need that. I mean, if we could begin with all of this is holy, right? The whole earth is full of his glory. Right. But if we don't make some places and some times distinct for the purposes of God, then if everything exactly is holy, saying, then nothing is holy. Because I yeah. talk about this with worship leaders a lot. If you're a worship leader and that's your title, Every email that you send is an act of love and care and worship. Yeah, you're a worship you know? leader. I always, yes, yeah. yes. But but when I mean, I, I used to do that at a university where I was, you know, helping train worship leaders. But I think about that, like, it's not just this sacred moment of an hour. It's like the way that you pick songs, the way that you deal with your frustrated sound tech or volunteers or your drummer who doesn't show up. All of that has to be a part of it. Now, if all you did was focus on this one thing as the holiness the beautiful sanctifying moment of worship, then you're missing the point. But by naming it, by drawing a boundary around something that is distinct and holy, we then can learn that all of it is holy. But without the distinction, we can't grow in it. Mm. You guys have said a lot of really great things, brilliant things. I was going to say something more simple. Is that okay? You know, I think as I was thinking about this question, even coming into today, I <laughs> I, 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 I just, it. in the simplicity of it all, I think just in what you're saying, marking this day as different, differentiated. Yeah. And I think a lot of times you can get in your head about, like you said, the holiness concept, this bigger idea of like, what does it mean to create a holy space or yeah. to create something? And I think for me, the simplicity of what I felt like God has invited me into in that is that, Bethany, this is a differentiated day. This mm. is just a different day, yeah. Yeah. which means from beginning to end, there's space for everything to be reordered mm. and reoriented in you. And um, and honestly, I, mm. I feel like the set-apartness that is the gift of holiness, it's this thing that's that actually helps me become not overwhelmed by the idea of holiness, but helps me to go, this is set apart for something distinct. Mm. This is set apart so that something different can happen today than what happened these yeah. other six days. And so that captures my imagination to draw me in to start thinking from the beginning. Hmm. What is God up to? Yeah. Like, what is the invitation of this day? If it's distinctly different, if I've just said, I've set it apart to hmm. be this, you know, different day than all the rest, then it means that I get to be surprised by God. 
Hey, my name's Josh. I'm in my mid-20s and I'm married. And uh, for me, yeah, Sabbath has really been a beautiful journey the last six, seven years. I started when I was in university and at the time I found it really challenging because oftentimes during university and while working part-time jobs, it feels like you don't have control over all your schedule. You know, you got group projects and you have exams and you have shift work. It just felt like, oh, it's really hard to carve out the 24 hours to, to practice. And so at first, like, I kind of felt defeated by that. Like, oh, if I can't do the whole 24 hours or if I can't do it right, you know, then I, then I can't do it at all. And I just had a pastor in my life come alongside and say like, hey man, why don't you start with like a Saturday morning and kind of just start doing that and then build from there. And what was cool is that until I finished university, I never quite got the full 24 hours figured out. Um, but what it did is it grew in me like a hunger and a desire to have that time of rest and of setting aside time to be intentional uh, with the Lord in, in a maybe more relaxed format or even like in a longer format than, than my weekdays looked like. I mean, I just keep coming back to the danger of wellness culture. Mm. And wellness culture is an industry now where they're, you know, making hundreds of millions of dollars off of things we don't need. But not all of that is bad. I mean, that's a, some of it's a corrective to the hustle culture, yeah. you know? But the danger is I think Sabbath can just become perverted into like just individualistic wellness, Yeah, you yeah, know? for sure. As opposed to, no, this is about community. Yeah. This is about a community of justice. This is about family. And ultimately this is about consecration, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? Yeah. There Absolutely. is something to that, that if we just stopped there, how quickly could it turn into navel gazing and be about my wants, my delights, and mm -hmm. then limit and direct it. But it's like we, narcissism, that self-will yeah. will just corrode we house everything it in, this in our broader, heart. Even this idea of this, actually to make it holy means I'm actually, it's a, it's a surrender of my will for God's will. Then within that there's delight and enjoyment. But yeah. it's like, if we inverse it, and that's what I think you're getting at, it's like, like it is a day set apart and it doesn't have to be this grand thing, but a simple reminder yeah. of like, Lord, how is my eye set on you in this moment? Yeah. But Bethany, am I, am I hearing like a, a sub message there? Like, are you saying something about learning to trust? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think at the core of all of this is um, this invitation. I think, you know, and that's that's been the journey, at least I've been on personally with this, is that in this mm. act of saying this is a set-apart time and day and space, in my orienting of heart in that way, there's this other essential, I think, it's become very essential invitation mm. of saying that this day is also me yielding myself, as you've mentioned, Brian, and and leaning into trusting God. It's, mm. it's it, me creating space for God also means that I have to create space for mm. what he wants to do and yield all of my expectations for what I think should be done. You know, so I think at a base level, Sabbath is, there is a this concept, if we're going to be entering into it in the right way, is giving God our trust as we move into this day mm. and giving him the creative reign mm. to, to call us in to a deeper space of worship with him. And I think the yielding of trust is is what actually sets us up to mm. move into a space of worship, just like the slow jams before, you know, <laughs> uh, we move into like response time, you know, at the end slow of a gathering jam. or something, those Christian <laughs> slow Holy jams, Spirit they play keys. the synthesizing or whatever. There's this almost like warm up yeah. to entering into a space of mm. more freely giving ourselves to God, you know? So I think I think Sabbath is is an embodied act of trusting God. 
I love that. If we'll, if we'll do it. Mm. A lot of people talk a ton about the sovereignty of God and faith in God, uh, or even offer a very like intense polemic against you know what some would call workspace righteousness. But then if you look at how they actually live, it's like indistinguishable from Western workaholism, you know? And it there is no way to Sabbath without trusting God. In particular, if you dive in, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you put boundaries around work and email and, you know, listening to a pastor a few days ago said something about how, you know, it's like a real discipline for him to not do sermon prep on yeah. Sabbath, which for him was on yep. Saturday, you know, because that's when most yeah. pastors who've had a really busy week, gearing up, they are like last yeah. minute. And so it's like, do I take a day of rest or do I get my sermon from 50% to 80%, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever, if you're anything like me. And so it's like a real act of trust in mm. him to say, I'm not gonna do sermon prep today. I'm just yeah. gonna mm. be with my family and be with my God and be with my soul. And, you know, so it is, Sabbath is a way that we habituate this beautiful aspirational idea of trust in God into like the neurobiology of our body. Mm. You know, it's a way of saying with all that we are, Mm. God, I trust in you. And I think one of the ways we do that is, I mean, I just keep coming back to Heschel's word of, it's a day of armistice, Mm. just meaning we accept what is like? I think right now of the famous, you know, World War One story on Christmas Day, where the yeah. they called an armistice and yeah. they like threw a yeah. soccer match in the middle and started, you know, because one side started singing Silent Night, yeah. and which I think was originally a German hymn, and it was just like this moment of beauty yeah. in the midst of this war. Mm. And you know, there is, there is a unhealthy, toxic version of the conflict in our world, and there is a healthy, like this is what Jesus people are about version of that conflict. But Sabbath is a day of of armistice. It's a day where we celebrate what is without trying to change it. It's like the other six days of the week, we're trying to change what is. Mm. And that's not bad. Like we were put here to rule, you know? And now this world has been invaded by evil and injustice. And so we have even more work on our hands than Adam and Eve did. But one day a week, it's like, no, we're going to trust in God, mm. that there is a creator and it's not me. Yeah. And this is his creation. And it's a way of saying with our life and our schedule and our body, God, I, I trust in you. Mm. Hey, my name's Neil. I'm 31 years old. I'm from Australia and I'm a lead pastor of a church up to this point, life's been super busy, go, 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 um, you know, leading a church, um, an organization, you know, has all the all the challenges. So I guess one challenge for us, for Sabbath keeping, has been trying to keep us sacred. Um, our church is still, you know, Sabbath isn't something we've really introduced to the church, so we're wanting to really uh, experience it and understand more of it before we teach on it, which we're planning to. We're going through the practices this year, so it's coming up in the end of the end of the year, probably uh, September, October. We'll teach into Sabbath. So right now, that means birthdays, parties, you name it, are on Saturday. So we're kind of the challenge is always to say no. Um, the challenge is to keep some kind of sacred space. We we of course hang out with people that are life giving friendships, but for just saying yes for the pastor's sake. We're learning and growing in that still. So saying, sorry, we can't come. We have another appointment. That appointment being spending time with God and family and doing nothing. So definitely feel the tension. 
of trusting God to do things and not sermon prep and not plan and not prepare and just leave it in God's hands and let him build his church. So that's definitely a challenge. You know, this concept can feel, I mean, it sounds wonderful as we're saying it, but it, it can feel overwhelming when you actually think through the list of even some of the things you might come up against, even just thinking, yeah. <laughs> you're just talking about the pastors thinking about, I should kind of like be getting ready for And everybody, ha- I think yeah, of that because I'm a pastor, that, but right. everybody has their thing. But it as could soon be as you sports, said that, there was like a visceral business. response in me yes. of like, yeah, that's a real, it's like, okay, this is the gear up for whatever, whatever your day of, you know is and so i think it's important just to say at this point like it's easy for us to say even within ourselves trust god go for it whatever but i also i think practically it's important to say that this this grows as you continue on in the practice so sometimes it starts with just small acts of trust that will ultimately lead to a greater ability to trust god so if you're just getting started with sabbath and this is newer to you and you know maybe it just it is overwhelming to think about yielding yeah. every you know bit yeah. of or twenty four hours of <laughs> worship. Like, over absolutely to God. not. I've got like thirty minutes. I can yeah. yield my trust, and then I've got it. You know, if you're just in that space, it's just it's important. <laughs> yeah. To what s- can you trust God for next? Yeah. It's, yeah. It is that question, and it's mm. it's small acts. You know, like I remember early on, and I I'd growing up, I was not a bed maker. Like I wasn't. My mom didn't like force us to until people. Were I coming just imagined over. you like. Building, oh, building a beds. bed frame. Yeah, that's not when you ex- say yeah. bed maker. <laughs> Although that would be cool, making my bed, I should say, in the morning. Gotcha. But in it's funny as I was learning about Sabbath, I felt the imitation of God throughout the week. Yeah, um, I felt these small imitations of like make your bed because mm. this is a, an expression of order, which mm. is like so weird. You're but fighting the chaos monster. Yeah, God is <laughs> is the God of order, and it's like these small acts that honestly became a pathway for me. Yeah, mm. um, that when I came to Sabbath, I felt this like. I've been practicing all week how, how to trust God with these small things mm. or to yield myself to Him or His will or His presence. How to order my life yeah, around and, Him. Yeah, and it made the Sabbath easier. Yeah. It just felt like, so, you know, it just, sometimes trusting Him, I think it's just important to say, it just starts with small acts of trust. That's Okay, this will sound like a left field, but have any either of you seen What About Bob? Of yeah. course. It's like a family <laughs> favorite of my in the coma. <laughs> yes, it is just a hard movie to watch. Bill Murray at his extreme but I just keep thinking of baby steps yeah, out the that's door, it. baby, baby steps. steps down the hallway, yeah. baby steps into the that's elevator. So I mean, it's you know, honestly like that sometimes. Though. Sailing, I mean, that's like spiritual formation. I mean, it really is. Baby like steps towards Sabbath. Baby steps towards moment yeah. sometimes. Yeah, no. I mean, you have to baby step your way into Sabbath, into yeah. worship, and you know, there's that definition of trust that trust is the imprint left by experience. So, you know, a lot of us don't have enough experience with God to trust Him. Mm. And so steps of faith are ways that you offer yourself, you create space for God to then imprint on you. You can trust me. And that doesn't mean nothing bad will happen to you. It doesn't mean you'll get rich and famous and be healthy and beautiful and all marry your dream spouse. It means that God will be with you and will bring good through all that you Mm endure and so like what can you trust god for next what's that small step that you can trust god for next and let him uh imprint into your body a deeper capacity for trust yeah yeah it struck me we ritualize the things that are most important and most valuable that is that Mm. is very true and i was having this when i became a father i remember that like i was thinking 
you know, we don't have festivals, we do holidays, we, we don't embody and retell the stories the way like, you know, Jews do in, in the festivals and the way they tell Passover and things. We make memories, we make Christmas memories, Thanksgiving memories, very different. Mm. And that tends to be more nostalgia and touching on the themes of nostalgia rather than remembrance, which is a story piece. Remembrance is the, a sacred act of imbuing something in the present with more significance than what it is on the surface. Yeah. In the way that I think of remembrance, like I think of the communion table and the symbol of that is. Um, but I came upon this work of this guy named William Doherty, who's a Christian psychologist. And he wrote this great book in the 90s called The Intentional Family. And it was such a help to me because basically he said in, in the world where there's so many agendas, where the family is pursuing their own benefits of self-interest, you know, the kids in school and the kids in their, their sports and the parents doing their own things separately, the, the way that you bring you fight off what he calls social entropy when a family over time will just become less connected and less intimate without a ritualized habit. Mm. And that was a click for me of like, for me, I need to be very good about ritualizing the way I build my calendar mm. and ritualizing the most important things so that they remain the most important yes, things. Otherwise yeah. they won't. They will see somebody else will ritualize important. your exactly. life for you. Mm. And worship and Sabbath for me, um, or Sabbath as a whole and the uniqueness of it, making that a priority has become about the ritual of building both into and out of it. And it requires time and attention mm. and all those things. But then it becomes an act of trust that I established before I the fickleness of my feelings. Like if I establish the routine before the fickleness of my yes. feelings can say yay or nay, yes. then I'm trusting in the moment, the yeah. same way I give my vows at my wedding, right? right. Like I'm pledging to commit these vows not knowing where my heart might be 10 years from now, yeah. but it's an act of daily ritualized connection and trust that yeah. regardless of the fickleness of my feelings, we're here, this is what we're yeah. on, we're gonna be doing this. You know, Tish Harrison Warren had this concept of an arduous good, yeah. which is kind of like something that's really good, but it's a challenge, it's not easy. Yeah. Like there's a requirement to level up, sort of is saying a very similar thing. Listen to what she said. There's this concept from Aquinas that's become really important to me of the idea of an arduous good. Arduous good is typically like the the most difficult things in our life. You know, the, the parenthood is an arduous good. It's good, but it is like deeply arduous. Um, but, you know, I mean, running a marathon is an arduous good. The the person I learned this from uh, has it's taken a vow of celibacy. Um, and he, that is what he was talking about in terms of being an arduous good. Um, and I love this idea and I bring it up a lot because I'm not sure our culture has a great understanding of it. I, I write, you know, for the New York Times and I can tell you when I bring this up, I get lots of pushback because there's sort of an idea of if it's good, it's not arduous or it shouldn't feel hard or bad. But what you're talking about here with the struggle is part of how we're formed is that it, there is an arduousness to good that is good for us, right? That I think the tricky part of the Christian life, that, and I'm still, it's not like I've figured this out, is it, since it is a struggle, since it is an art, it is arduous, it is a narrow way. Like, what does it mean to be honest about that and to live that out and to have joy? And not just have joy kind of in spite of that struggle, but what does it mean to to glory, to re like enjoy the struggle uh, of the Christian life, knowing that it's sort of like um, 
in other words, there's there's different kinds of hardness, right? Like dancing is difficult, especially if you are dancing well. Um, running is difficult. Biking is difficult. But there's a joy to that versus like moving a piano. Don't get me wrong. There are absolutely times in the Christian life where it feels like you're just barely hanging on. You're moving a piano. And, and sometimes that has to happen. But how do we kind of hold together arduousness and rigor and joy? That just shows the bankruptcy of the kind of authenticity movement, you mm. know, that arguably goes back to Rousseau and philosophy and it's just all over Instagram yeah. and Peloton and, you know, every city you've been to. It's just so be true to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And the implication is that if if something doesn't feel like a desire to you, it's not authentic and therefore it's oppressive or repressive. The most sinful thing we can be is inauthentic. That is, I remember reading, was it, I think it was Carl Truman, whose work on secular culture is just absolutely staggering. And I remember him saying, whoever said that feelings are more authentic than your will. Yeah. Mm. So like if you make a a vow, a covenant or your vows, like if you make a vow to, I will remain Mm. faithful to my spouse for life, and then you have feelings of a desire for an affair. Who says that yeah. your feelings are more authentic yeah. to your true self than the vow that you right. made before yeah. hundreds of people and yeah. God? Like wh- whoever said that, you yeah. know? And so there's this myth that we shouldn't do something if we don't feel desire yeah. in the moment. Mm. And that is, I think, a lie that is entrapping people mm. in all sorts of yeah. addictions and compulsions Absolutely. that deform the soul. The reality is, I think, in our clearest moments of groundedness yeah. and centeredness, we have to identify what really matters in life. And then we have to build a life architecture yeah. of rituals or habits or practices or spiritual disciplines, yeah. whatever you want to call it, that then habituate that vision yeah. mm-hmm. into our body. Yeah. So that Sabbath comes when we feel like it and when we really wish we yeah. could just go do something else, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. When we want to do it and when we don't want to do it because there's a deeper want and ache in us that ultimately is an ache for God that just is misdiagnosed by so many other, mm-hmm. as so many other desires, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think about a person who gets their will every time without restraint, and that is an addict. Yes. That's the person who gets what they want mm. all the time. Wow. And if you put it in those terms, and you know, my little shorthand for this in that same cultural thing is I always say that authenticity without commitment is just self-indulgence. And without some kind of forming to commit to this vision or value, you will naturally run your life off the course. Yeah. Yeah. Because appetite is not a way to drive yes. or direct. But worship is a surrender. Yes, you know, and and yeah. At the at the end of the session in the in the four week practice that is out now, we plug shameless plug, <laughs> great plug. Um, I I quote. I just anytime I talk about worship, I always quote David Foster Wallace's you know famous line That's from great. that commencement address yeah. where he talks about how you know worship isn't a religious thing; it's a human thing, yeah. and everybody yeah. worships, and the yeah. only choice you get is what do you worship? Yeah. And then he has this line, the great thing about worshiping God or some spiritual type of thing. And arguably he became a Christian at the very end of his life through AA. It's not, we're not sure, but there's a lot of people that think he he began to trust Jesus at the end wow. of his life through AA. Hmm. But the great thing he writes about, you know, um, 
worshiping God or some spiritual type of thing is pretty much anything else will eat you alive. Yeah. Mm. And then he just goes through analogy. If you worship beauty, then you will never be beautiful enough and you'll yeah. always be insecure by body. If you worship power, you'll always dominate people mm. and never have enough power and be fair. If you worship money, you know, go on and on down the list, you will worship something. Mm. Yeah. It's just a question of what. Yeah. And pretty much anything other than the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit will eat you alive. Yeah. You know? And so Sabbath, I think, is how I think the honest, like the the again, spiritual realism. Yeah. The honest truth is a lot of us don't really want to worship God. Yeah. So like, mm-hmm. oh, and a, a day for rest. Okay, that's maybe I could get into that. A day for delight. Okay, yeah. now yeah. like All pleasure in. stacking. Right. I like this, but oh, a day, an entire day where my goal is to deepen my surrender to God. Yeah. You know, we know the right answer. Yeah. We know what we're supposed to feel, but I don't know if we honestly actually feel a desire to do that. Mm. Mm. But I think Sabbath is how we grow our capacity for worship. Mm. It's how we just take a step forward. You know, we're like, God, I want to worship you in this moment. I want to give you this day, or I want to give you these few hours, or I want to give you Mm. this church experience, whatever it is, because I want eventually me to actually see you as you actually are to where the only natural response is authentic worship. You know? It also, because it's not just, it's not just, loving the right things it's loving the right things in the right order right it's desiring yeah that's augustine it's fourth augustine. century absolutely yep. the problem it's is that, not that we don't love it's that we either love the wrong things or, or the right things in the wrong exactly. order. exactly and i think that's at the heart i mean ascribing worth to something yes right? at the very heart of it we stand and we say this will all go if I, you know, my mentor Bill always says it's the first button in the first hole. If you, no matter how good the rest are, if that first button in the first hole aren't lined up, your shirt is going to look funky. Wow. And it's true. It's just like, no matter how much I try at these other things, if I forget the heart of this is about the right ordering of whose will yeah, and yeah. giving worship to that, then, mm. you know, it won't always be perfect, but at least it's the right beginning. Yeah. You know, Brian, when you sat down to interview Rich Viotis, you guys kind of got into that a little bit. Listen to what he said on that topic. I think about what Jesus tells us to pray in, in the Lord's Prayer. When he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. That is often seen through the lens of resignation. Lord, there's so many problems in the world. Please let your kingdom come. Let your will be done because there's nothing we can do about it. And I don't think Jesus is calling us to pray in that way. I think it's not language of resignation, but language of participation. And it's not us saying, Lord, there's nothing we can do, so fix the world. I think it's more, Lord, there's so much we can do, but only in your power. And frame, reframing it that way makes all the difference in the world. And so what pray, prayer is, God wants to get something done in me and through me. I mean, this is Dallas Willard's definition of grace, isn't it? Of God doing in me and for me and through me what I can do for myself. And how do I now live my life in that way where I see prayer as a means for God to get something done in the world as opposed to thoughts and prayers? And so I I think actually the cultural resistance that people have to that phrase is actually... um, a well-needed word of rebuke to the church because the church has often seen prayer in disembodied, non-participatory ways. God, you got to do something about it. And God's saying, what are you talking about? I, 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 this is why I've given you the Holy Spirit. 
you know, so that you can respond in my name and in my authority and in my power to these problems here. Uh, and so I think much of it is how we ref- how do we reframe that prayer in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not resignation, that's participation. And ultimately knowing that God is the one who's going to make this happen here, but I have a part to play in the meantime. It's interesting because I think about this concept of worship and the Sabbath expanding, you know, our ability to worship God. And I also think at the same time, it reveals what we actually worship. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're saying, right? Yeah. In so many ways we're saying, like, as we practice this, it's going to become really clear what we have given ourselves to throughout yeah. the week or throughout those other six days. Mm. And um, we'll reveal what we actually because like where your treasure is, your heart is also. Do this? Yeah, what, where yeah. you put your time is a great yeah. indicator of what you actually love. Yeah. And so I think there's a balance too in the space mm. of worship of, and I think rightfully so, right? Like when you enter a space of worship, generally some of your first thoughts are, I'm out of a line. Like I have saying these words or singing these words to God or whatever are, it's convoluted with my ability to say like, maybe I don't believe this is true or this hasn't been true for me or whatever. Mm. So it's like, as we enter into worship, even on the Sabbath, it's like this, reordering of like, wait, I have not been worshiping you, yes. yeah. you know, this week or well, this way or I think whatever. all spiritual disciplines expose where we actually are with yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. So they expose our desire for God and they expose our lack of desire yeah. for God. Yeah. You know, so when, let's say we're living by a rule of life and we have Sabbath is coming up or Which it's morning prayer. Which all of us live or, by rule of life. Of course, all of us. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm saying all of us do live by rule of life. We just don't choose that rule of life. never heard the language and don't know it. <laughs> we all of us do. We just don't know what it exactly. is. That, that is. We don't always dictate That is 100% true. Absolutely. All people live by rule of yeah. life. The question is just, do you know what it is? And exactly. is, it, is it leading you to the life that you most deeply desire? Yeah, you know, most of us come to Sabbath so much later in life. And so we feel like we're playing catch up. But it's not all people. Brian, you started when you were quite young with your mentor. But the person that I know that has been doing it the longest and the most seriously in the Christian tradition is Andy Crouch, who we got to do an interview with. Listen to what he said about kind of the genesis of his journey into Sabbath. Sabbath has been one of the gifts of my life. I got to college, not from a really church active family, nominal Protestant family, but I had come to faith in high school. I got to college and thought, I'm either going to have a Sabbath or I'm not, and I think I should have one. So I started practicing it first day of Cornell University, which I only mentioned to say, in our US context, this is Ivy League, this is high pressure, this is performance, this is achievement. So Sundays were very lonely because everybody else is in the library like cramming for the week, right? You, you party Friday and Saturday, and then Sundays you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta get my work done. So it's actually the hardest working day of the week at most Ivy League schools is Sunday, because you're like, you're sort of, you're under the gun. And I, I felt with, with the wisdom of the church kind of backstopping me, like there's something about the eighth day, the Lord's day. I, don't, you know, I think Sabbath can be taken other days in a seven day rhythm, but I took the first day and nobody else did. So, and yet it was this just life-saving thing. In those moments, it will expose our desire for God, our lack of desire for God. And when we're coming up on that discipline in our rule of life or whatever, that moment, There'll be times when we just don't want it. We don't yeah. want to do it. Yeah. I don't want to pray right now. I don't want to read scripture right now. I don't want to go to church this weekend yeah. or whatever. And guilt and shame are not really that helpful in that moment because at its core, I think what's wrong, yes, the human heart is bent and there's sin and there's all of that. But I think at its core, it's we've yet 
to realize the beauty of who God is yeah. and his inner being. Because again, worship is the natural response to seeing God as he is. Yeah. Yeah. So when we don't want to worship, it's because we don't see God as he actually is. Yeah. We don't understand how beautiful he is. Yeah. And we miss see other things and think they are more beautiful than yeah. they actually are. Mm-hmm. Practicing the Way is a crowdfunded nonprofit made possible by The Circle, a group of people from all over the world who believe deeply in the work of spiritual formation and discipleship and give monthly to see formation integrated into the church at large. I'm Kristen from Louisiana, and I'm a part of this community. To join myself and others in the circle or to share a one-time gift, visit practicingtheway.org slash gift. You know what comes to mind is uh, recently I read Will Smith's memoir. I know that's controversial right now. Why? Why would that be? The slap that was heard across the world. Yeah. Um, and actually, when that when that moment happened, I had just finished reading this memoir. Mm. My son and I read it together, and there's an amazing story at the end. You know, and Will kind of grew up in some kind of a Christian tradition, and now is you know, I mean, you, you don't know. He doesn't like spell out his exact beliefs, yeah. but the vibe I got was kind of Hollywood post Christian celeb kind of God. You know, yeah. yes, Jesus and peyote yeah. and like all the things and an open marriage and whatever. You know, I don't know his life. I don't know his heart, but that's kind of was my interpretation, yeah. my read of where he's where he's at. But there's this incredible story where he's in a conversation. The memoir is just incredibly self-aware. And apparently he has a son that's not famous from a previous marriage who has become a really strong Christian. Mm. So he writes about his son becoming a really strong Christian and going to this Christian high school Mm. and a conversation in the kitchen with his eldest son where his son asks him, dad, what do you worship? Mm. And Smith says, I worship God. And then his son says, but are you sure? (laughs) And then Will just writes, you know, that I've been in, he's been in, uh, you know, thousands of interviews. He's, you know, arguably the most successful actor in all time. Thousands of interviews, asked thousands of questions. And he basically said that was the most provocative Mm. and difficult question I've ever been asked. What do you worship? Are Are you sure? And so I think, you know, it's easy for us to put Christian language around this. I worship God, but yeah. but really? And and honestly, the parenting analogy there, like your children will know what yeah. you worship. Yeah. But it doesn't matter what you say yeah. or what you ascribe to. They will know how you spend your time, how you spend your money, where your heart is, what your behavior is, you know? So I think Sabbath is really a good day to ask, what do I worship? What yeah. do I most orient my life around? What do I most value? What do I think is the most beautiful thing in the universe? Yeah. And am I sure? And am I sure? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the that's at the heart of it all. I mean, you know, in, in a deep way, what we're saying is there's an invitation here to explore those questions and to answer them honestly before God. Sabbath is like a weekly invitation yes, to explore that. To yeah. keep coming back to that and asking and orienting and reorienting yeah. again and again and again. And I think, you know, we've said it, I think, 50 different ways here in this podcast, but at the heart of Sabbath, like the landing place that we want to get to is this space of worship. After we stop and rest and delight, it's almost as if we're now ready you know, to actually- yeah. We have a more capacity yes. to mm. actually 
to be filled up with God at and some to level. see him rightly, yeah. to see ourselves rightly before him. Mm. You know, when so much has been stripped away, we come face to face with the God who's giving us this gift of Sabbath. And I think the only response we we can give is is worship. You know, our invitation in Sabbath is to respond to him, all that he's done, all that he's given. And that's what we're going after. You know, Heschel, just because we need another Heschel quote, he said that Sabbath is not the interlude <laughs> This of the whole week. podcast is like an advertisement <laughs> Honestly, for his book. So. That Heschel. book started my practice of Sabbath. <laughs> it all goes back it's to amazing. Heschel. It's amazing. That's why we have to yeah. quote it. But he said that Sabbath is not the interlude of the week, yeah. but it's the climax. Yeah, day and, seven. And so there is this like reality, even in that imagery in my mind, that just kind of reminds me that in Sabbath, we're coming to this climax of worship, this moment in worship where um, we're almost like crescendoing into saying like, you are good and what you mm. do is good and I am yours. You know, this is a moment where we get to encounter God with gratitude, with perspective, with joy, with mm. peace. And, you know, I know expressions of worship look different for each one of us and will, um, but the idea is that practice, uh, the practice of Sabbath and what we do in it um, actually produces worship that will overflow mm. into the week ahead. Mm. Well, I think that's a wrap, you guys. Is to it? all of you listening, thank you so much. It is, I think, at a very genuine level, very humbling to the three of us yeah. and those involved to make this podcast possible that you would bend your ear and that you would give us time as you're folding laundry or on your morning commute or on your run or whatever it is, that you would give us time, that you would listen to this conversation around a practice that mm. has been transformative or has made space for God to transform mm. the three of us and so many others for so yeah. many centuries all over the world. And I think the three of us really believe that if the church were to recapture this ancient practice of Sabbath, it could change everything yeah. in coming decades yes. and centuries. So thank you for listening. We hope to be back with a, another season in weeks to come on another practice. But thank you again also to The Circle, our community of monthly givers to Practicing the Way. You made this entire thing possible. We are so grateful. To join the circle or to find out more about running the Sabbath practice in your church or small group or with a community of followers of Jesus, visit Practicing the Way. Org. The Rule of Life podcast was made possible by our producer, Emma Nussbaum, engineer, Corin Wilson, edits by Caleb Gray, and all of this was made possible by the generosity of the circle with deep gratitude.